Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner in the studio today with my partners in crime, uh, Chris Legg, who's here, and Chris Sherrod, who is um, who is joining us via Zoom. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Great. Wonderful. Happy to be here. Happy to oh, be here. Hey, man. So glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Chris Legg, uh, who's going to kind of catch us up, reminding us what we were talking about with hermeneutics, and then we're going to continue that conversation. So yeah. take it away, Chris Legg. Well, to catch you up, Chris, because um, since you weren't able to be on the last one, <clears throat> right. so Bryn and uh, uh, Colson and I were discussing the some of the things about hermeneutics, the art and science of studying revelation from God. And uh, so for those who are listening, this will be a little bit of a reminder. So we we talked about, you know, how revelation being one of the sources of knowledge, you and I did the podcast way back on epistemology and sources of truth and all that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, th- the same way that we need rules and guidelines, the scientific method, in order to uncover empirical evidence with any level of confidence. The same way we need the the laws of logic in order to let reason unpack truth for us. We need rules, guidelines for uh, we need to, uh, for for studying revelation and for how to dig into it and how <clears throat> it's that important that we need to have proper ways of doing it. Otherwise, it's like a scientist just throwing together some kind of research project without any idea of the guidelines for how that's done well. Yeah. Um, and so we, we even really unpacked and you can listen to it, obviously the, uh, the kind of the role of the Holy spirit in that and how people sometimes test God with that versus trusting him in that. And yeah. it's good to trust the spirit, but God tells us not to test him. And, and that's different. Um, and then we dove into the kind of, and I know there's a thousand ways to do this and you may use other words. Um, I do the observe, interpret and apply. Um, there's lots of different, usually three or four word little patterns like that. Uh, do you use a different one when you're teaching it, Chris? No, I think anything just like that is, I'm trying to think if I did something different because you're just asking, what is it saying? What does it mean? And how does it apply? But yeah, right. Yeah. Those are the basic Great. ideas. So yeah. we were in observation and we actually practiced with the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And I kind of wanted them to see that it's not just that hey do hey you make good use of good hermeneutics so you don't do something wrong but also when you practice good hermeneutics there's a treasure there are treasures to be discovered that you can't really find any other way and so um i don't know if you've ever seen the way the feeding of the 5000 and mark mirrors the 23rd psalm um but that's an example of like when you do good hermeneutics you uncover stuff treasures like this that you're like that is so cool and you kind of freak out when you see it. And, and it's part of why we yeah. do Israel trips and study history is so that we understand the context really well. But one of the things we need to talk about is uh, for sure is under observation is genre is, mm-hmm. is what, what kind of literature you're looking at. And so I know you've taught about that and talked about that some, could you unpack that a little bit maybe uh, as a starting point? I, I mean, I, I think that's great, especially because, you know, you have people say, well, I don't understand the Bible or, they pull things out of, out of context. Like, well, what did he mean by, you know, facial hair and all that, you know, like, and that we, I think people can and do lump everything together as 
one genre or it's just mm -hmm. where it's a lot more complicated than that as we know, but I think it, it's valuable for us to hear that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I can't get any better than Chris's illustration he used already about uh, his wife's love letter. Oh yeah. Um, on the counter that has milk and eggs and cheese and butter <laughs> from the store because <laughs> it's just one of those things where um, you mentioned this already before that the, the, the Bible is, it, it's not written. It's, it's for us, but it's not written to us. Yeah. Um, and again, I know you already talked about that, but if I don't, if I don't understand that, it's like me in my illustration before was being in a, um, a bookstore and I don't know what section of the store I'm in. Um, and I pick up something that I think is historical, but I'm in the science fiction section. Yeah. I want to be really confused or right. I'm looking for poetry, but I'm reading, I'm in the mechanics, you know, books on how to fix your car section. So it's, it is actually part of the whole context that we've talked about already. Um, the importance of that, because <clears throat> if you're reading a parable, you interpret a parable, you read a parable different than you're reading history. Um, if I'm reading prophecy, I'm going to read it differently than I'm reading, you know, a Psalm or something like that. So it just overall is going to be really confusing for you. And you're probably going to misinterpret stuff. Um, if you don't understand either the culture or what was being said there or what right. was maybe an idiom, like there's all of this stuff that you got to research. And I just think people, a lot of times we're just lazy and we just want the immediate yes. answer fed to us without having taken the time to read. Do we understand how they were thinking back then? Right. Um, like when we had David Smalley and you pointed out like, that description was sufficient for someone back in Moses day. It wouldn't be for us. It would bug us today. All the details that maybe were left out, but right. Um, it's just a different, different way of, you know, saying things. And then I, I think I used this analogy before, but if I told my grandma, I'm going to go surf the web, <laughs> her, her brain would have been thinking of surfing and she would have pictured a big web and she yeah, would have been in exactly. her mind like, what in the world? Cause her genre Watch out for spiders. Right, right, right. It, it's just, you got to go like, okay, what did they mean then? <laughs> kind of like even Jesus saying three days and three nights, the son of you know man will be in the, like Jonah was. Yeah. And you start to go, wait, he wasn't three full days and three full nights. But then you start going, okay, but an idiom of the time. Yeah. You know, would help you explain that. But anyways. Yep. That's really good. Thoughts. The, um, just to make sure in case somebody hasn't heard it, because it may have been a while back, the, the analogy that I often use is if I, I come home and find a, a love note from my wife, a love poem from my wife, and it, like Chris was saying, it says eggs and cheese and sandwich meat and toilet paper. And, and, I, <clears throat> and I start trying to, every, every interpretation I make and every application I make based on the belief that that's a love letter is going to be wrong because it's not a love letter, it's a grocery list. It doesn't matter how good, how creative, or how imaginative my engagement with that is. Or how sincere. Or, <laughs> oh, great point. Or how sincere. Um, how dedicated I am to taking it literally. How dedicated that I am to taking it seriously. If I have the wrong genre, most of my, most of my application interpretation, if not all of it, is going to be bad. 
And, and so, Ginger will be mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly be right. My wife's going to be frustrated at me, one, because I didn't get any of those things at the store. And oh. because I, what I'm trying to, how, I have no idea how I would have tried to apply those things to our mm-hmm. uh, romantic life. Um, but the uh, that's a, that would be all totally off. And so when you're reading, and to make things more difficult when it comes to scripture, is we don't always know what genre of literature the author intended. And there are even genres of literature that they had that we we have really kind of lost the practice of using very much. Really? Um, and so we don't we don't think in terms of poetic literature that much. We don't write long stories based on historical events put mm-hmm. in poetic form. And the closest thing we have to that is like you know, like a song, like the the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, or or something like that, where you have this long lyrical poem about a historical event, but you got to make it rhyme, and the right. lyrics have got to work. So you leave things out, and you add things in to make it rhyme, and you and you go, wait, but that's not okay. But wait, technically, that's a, that's not the right word that you would use. Well, okay, but I'm it it is what happened. I'm just using poetic language and. Right. And we're not, we don't do a lot of that anymore. The West doesn't like that much anymore. We don't like the idea of revealing truth without revealing fact in exactly the same format. And, mm-hmm. and yet for the, for the Middle Eastern mind, even today for Middle Eastern thinking, that is much more acceptable. And it certainly was 2000 years ago. Um, you mean like Hotel California didn't really happen? Um, California? We'll talk later. Yeah, that's up to <laughs> that's up to interpretation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's You're exactly welcome. the point. That's exactly the point. I have so. always tried to find that place, and I thought, <laughs> why? Why would you want to find that place? <laughs> to free that's, all the people. It sounds that are terrible. Oh, to free the people. Okay, there you go. All right. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for questioning your motives there. Um, uh, but that's that is huge, and you can see why that's challenging, especially when we don't know for sure. So when you're reading, liter- you know, wisdom literature or poetic literature like Job or like Psalm or like, or, or wisdom literature like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, man, I've seen people get in so much trouble with Ecclesiastes because they take every line in Ecclesiastes as though it's a statement. It, every single line is a statement of truth. And it just isn't. It's, that's not a correct way to read that. Like it. And what do you, what do you mean by that? Because it's like, it's, it's true in a, there, there are truths true, revealed right. in it, or the book of Pro- both Proverbs and yes. Ecclesiastes. But you're like, you're taking it as a fact promise. of like, well, yeah. Or yeah. a promise. Proverbs is yes. a good one. You take it as a promise, and it's just a proverb. It's more of a guideline. Um, <laughs> mm, kind of more like guidelines. Right. <laughs> Partly. I mean, it's, it's generally true, but it, it doesn't guarantee that if you train up a child in the way he should go, that he won't ever depart from his faith. Right. You know right. I mean? That's exactly right. And okay. so, you, you, that's not a guarantee. It's not a promise. And, and so even, so it's tough for us, especially as Westerners is we want everything to be textbook formatted, meaning the same word means the same thing in all conditions. And that is not the thinking. And, and so for example, one of the great researches that one of the great things that's going on right now in a lot of Christian, serious Christian hermeneutics is, is the question of, is there such a thing as mytho history? Meaning True history told in the language of myth. And the closest thing we have to that <clears throat> in here in the West that we use periodically is sometimes just straight fiction, or when you tell a narrative 
uh, in a dramatic way. So like when you were to, let's say if you said, you know, there was an event that happened and then we're going to make a play out of it. So Mm -hmm. say like, um, Hamilton, uh, Hamilton was the one I was trying to think of like Hamilton. Okay. Okay? So it was a perfect example of mytho history. Um, it's historical. These things kind of happened, but we're using mythical language to describe it. And, and, and we're using mythical pictures. These people weren't there and this type of person wasn't there or this, um, that no one sung this song probably in that we're assuming they weren't jumping, doing nearly as much dancing and singing, Uh um, during these historical events as they do. And so, but, but what's amazing is there are things about history that people are learning from Hamilton that they had never learned in any other way. So it isn't that there isn't truth to be revealed, but it does mean you can't just be a lazy uh, bystander who just goes, well, all of that, Mm -hmm. that must be just kind of like somebody videoed the founding fathers. That must be what that's like. It's not like that. Yeah. Um, And so... Mytho history would be the similar to saying the truth revealed by a painting versus the truth revealed by a photograph. <clears throat> and so we we struggle, I struggle with that. I'm not, when I say we, I'm including me too. I'm very Western in my thinking and yeah. meaning I really don't like the idea that something may be described and I could go back in time and watch it and go, oh yeah, I recognize that. That's not exactly the way it was described, but I recognize that's what they were describing, if that makes sense. And so it's one of the things that people are really wrestling through with, like the book of Job or some of the early, the the oldest stuff in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, the the flood. And because the, the language is so similar to mythological language from that time period, but it's describing a historical event in the language of the time and often probably meant to correct mythical errors from that time mm-hmm. and to make them more historically true does that make them more historically specific or detailed or or historical? I don't I don't know, and that's uncomfortable for us. Um, it's really tough for us, um, and so sometimes we don't know. Did Moses mean for us to read the parts of Genesis, for example, when Moses wasn't there, which is essentially the entire book of Genesis, right? right. Moses wasn't there for any of that, so he's writing something that's been revealed to him, either passed down through history or revealed directly from God. And what language, what genre is that exactly? Is, is it history? Like, did, is this a specific description of how it happened? Or is it meant to be uh, a different form of literature than just pure history? Um, and, and that's where people get frustrated and angry and mad, is it isn't that you're not taking it literally, it's that you're taking it literally according to the type of genre of literature you think it is, and then that's what you have to defend. Well, why do you think it's this versus this? And so, anyway, it's 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 challenging, especially in certain passages. Now, luckily, it gets a whole lot easier when you get to the New Testament. A whole lot easier. Because those are much more cut and dried uh, genres of speech. Um, and that's our genres of say, literature. Go ahead. I would say also that I, that people might use that. I, I'm just want to clarify people. You can't use that an excuse for throwing out stuff that is clear. No, absolutely like, not. I would say the majority of stuff that we read, it's like, I, I think yes. it's pretty much sense. Like I, what God says about, you know, marriage or yes, faithfulness or sex or whatever. It's like, that's not metaphorical, but <clears throat> there's that phrase. I don't know if you used to hear it. If, if the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. Um, <laughs> Like you just read it, and there's times where there's anthrop- anthropomorphism, which means you're ascribing 
human qualities to God, like God saw, God smelled, God went right. down, right? God looked as if he didn't already know or whatever, but that yes. helps us relate to him a little bit more. But um, I think for a lot of people, it's even funny that we've said this before, but there are phrases we use all the time that you don't take literally. It's like, I, I read the Bible normally. I think you talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yes. I just read the Bible normally, which means when it's <laughs> obvious, like if I said, I asked for my wife's hand in marriage, everyone knows right. what I mean. Yes. I yes. want the rest of her too, or, <laughs> um, you know, all that stuff that we just use. I've thought about you every moment since I, it's like, no, you haven't thought you about did it. Not. Right, right. Exactly. But, but we know what it means. Um, even yeah. though it's not literal. It's raining cats and dogs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, similes and like, or as and, and metaphors and stuff like that. I think it's funny that we actually now in today's English use the word literally to mean the opposite <laughs> of literally. Right. That it's, that it's, it, we even, so, so even we talk about discussing things, do I, do I study the Bible, Bible literally? Like I literally never put my Bible down. Right. Like, no, <laughs> right. And yes, right. yes, you do. You no, no. That's, I know that's the point I'm making. Like, but you said literally, it's, it's funny that that word now we have, we now use it to mean the opposite of the actual, you mean you figuratively never put your Bible down. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, but there are figures of speech. The guy, um, with the word literally in it, because that was his big pet peeve he shared on stage. was like, <laughs> everyone used that word literally, so we put it in his name, so it had to be part of his That's name. so cool. And Chris is referring to, at Pine Cove, they name <laughs> yeah, people. Camp names. Uh, camp names. Yeah, camp nicknames. And apparently, cruelly, meanly. <laughs> oh, man, there are, <laughs> There's some rough there are ones a lot of stories over the that. years. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's a... Uh, so that's one, and that's just that's part of observation is what what genre of literature am I reading? And that's part of like when you sit down with a passage, you should know that before you read it. Yep. Um, you need to know before you read it, is this narrative like the gospels are? The gospels are are narrative history. They're not necessarily like a history textbook. They are a first century Jewish narrative history with Greek influences. And that's that's even even that's a simplification. But to recognize that that's the case, and it's okay to read it. You don't have to know all of that. As we showed, you can read the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and just absolutely love it and get it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole other level. And there's my guess is depth. there's levels I don't even begin to understand that are there. If I could if I could do the Greek like some of my professors could as fast as I read it, then that would be amazing. I'm sure there are depths that they're able to get that I don't get. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I can't get it. It just means... Yeah, it's, it's something special. But there, there. but it, but it's an, an also a really unique thing to the Bible in that it's like it's designed yeah. in a way that to have repeating patterns and links and stuff like that. That's right. And so, yeah, yep. there's there's crazy depth to it. Yep. That is and awesome. I didn't hear if you guys talked about it, but I think the importance of it too is when, like, when Paul says to Timothy, "Study to show yourself approved." Yeah. Um that implies there's some work involved. It's not just right. you read and there's no big deal. Like you, you need to study or, um, and then there's the, the whole factor of the Holy Spirit as you read, but it's where Paul even said to him, think over what I'm saying and the Lord will give you insight into it. It's like you do both. Like right. it's They're not, not totally opposition. rely on the Holy Spirit. She's going to give me whatever meaning, but it's not just totally me. I'm, I'm praying for. Yes. 
or discernment. Did you guys talk about the word exegesis? Did you use all that? We used it. We could we okay. could define mm-hmm. it again, probably. Yes, because we have in, we have in other episodes. I think it's worth okay. revisiting. We, we did discuss the fact that trusting in the Holy Spirit and using good hermeneutical technique are not oppositional thoughts. Right. And people who say, "Well, you don't need hermeneutics because you have the Holy Spirit." would be just as wrong as saying, I don't need the Holy Spirit because I have hermeneutics. Both of those would be an error. Right. Um, and it's silly that we try to pit them against each other. But go ahead go ahead and describe exegesis and eisegesis for our... Uh, oh, yeah. So while ex is where we get the word exit or exodus, it just means has to do with the word out. And so exegesis is you're drawing out the author's intended meaning. Yep. And so to do that, you've got to know the context. You need to know the genre. You need to look at what's who's doing the speaking and all the verses around it. Um, otherwise, and we just do this naturally. If you walk up to a group of friends who are talking about something or even laughing about something, your first question is, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Um, if you just open any book randomly to the middle, you'd be confused because you don't know what it's you know going on. So you got to know what's, you got to study a little bit to figure out, okay, who's talking or what are they talking about? So the opposite of that is eisegesis, which is where you are reading your own meaning into the text to make it say either what you want it to say, or um, yeah, if you have a preconceived idea of what you, what you're hoping it'll say, or again, if you just don't even know the, um, the context, I think I'd use this example before, but apparently it was true. A guy who was praying about asking a girl um, out and he read a Bible verse that he thought the Lord had given him. And the verse was grace to you or grace be to you. Oh no. And the girl's name was grace. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. Seriously. Like he really did. He was like, I got a word from the Lord. I'm going to so, claim that verse. And so that was did, a confirmation. And so did so, he marry um, her? I don't know the rest of it, but I just know that was the, what's funny is I was thinking, usually Paul <laughs> says grace and peace. So I didn't know. If <laughs> yeah, that exactly. got also. Wow. But it just goes along with what Paul said to the Corinthians in, in one place in second Corinthians chapter two, he said, we are not, peddlers of God's word. Yeah. Like we don't just take it and and peddle it to make something off of it or, or to, you know, boast up ourselves. And then in, um, in chapter four, he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Um, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. So his point was, we're not going to twist God's word. We're not going to tamper with it. We're not trying to be deceitful. And that's, I think another reason we had talked about before of why God gave it to us in a objective form and a written down form so that we can all look at the same thing right. and um, use our, you know, use our brains. If you look at the, you know, the very first church council, when they're debating what do the Gentiles have to do to be Christians, they have to get circumcised, whatever they, they use scripture and they gather together and they shared opinions and thoughts and, they put their minds together and came up with it. They didn't, they didn't just sit around waiting for a word of the Lord to, you know, right in the sky. They were thinking. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And discussing and debating and engaging in the conversation. And they had a, they had something that they could use as authoritative in their conversations that right. they could come back to and say, this isn't just who, which of us can argue best. This isn't just which of us, is more forceful and can yell more loudly or which one is more popular. This is, there's a standard here and it, what is required is that we, we have to match what we're teaching to this standard. Right. Um, and like you said, it's not a dichotomy. Like in Proverbs two, 
it starts off with you're searching for wisdom and seeking understanding and you're looking and you're asking all that stuff. And then in verse six, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom. Right. So you're like, well, wait, where does wisdom come from? Is it God gives it or am I seeking it? It's both. It's you ask for it, but you grow in wisdom. So there, you don't have to feel like you got to pick. Okay. So let's go back to that, that conversation there. Cause it seems like under observation, we've, we've unpacked it pretty well. The only thing we had left was the literature yeah. uh, genre. But, but so when we talk about interpretation, when you use the word exegesis, meaning we, we go to it with a blank piece of paper and we draw, we kind of, we draw information from what does it say, not what do I want it to say. And that's, mm-hmm. that's very countercultural. If you, if you ask someone today, what is more important, what I think of when I read John or what John meant when he wrote John, yeah. Yeah. I have a funny feeling even a whole lot of Christians would say, well, what's more important is what I think or what I feel right. or what I experience. Mm-hmm. And it isn't that that isn't important, but it is not most important when it comes to understanding truth. It just, it just right. isn't. And that's in Christian circles. I've got to imagine in, in almost any other, it would be much, much more a sense of, no, you're, there's only one, there's only one opinion that matters and that is mine. Only my opinion matters when it comes to what I read or what I experience mm-hmm. or what I see or you know, what mattered more, what the uh, the man creating the movie wanted you to experience or what he intended or she intended, or is what more important, what you experienced. And, and it's funny because maybe, maybe in regards to some things like some movies or something like that, it doesn't matter what your answer is to that necessarily. And, uh, but we get that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and we take out the word beauty and we put in truth mm-hmm. and, and yeah. now we've messed ourselves up pretty badly. Yeah. So I don't go to scripture. Heard me say that phrase, a verse can never mean what a verse never meant. Yes, yeah, that's that's an important one. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think our culture. And this goes back to what you've already we've already covered earlier with the radical autonomy. Um, it's it really is. Who are you to say what? What I get out of this verse, and so it, it's it comes down to submitting to the idea that God has something authoritative to say to you because i think a lot of people they they invert we've got scripture and we've got reason and science and experience but everybody wants to invert that to reverse it to experience comes first right and then my reason and then maybe scripture but it's it just gives you you're gonna end up with two different outcomes depending on what you start with absolutely yeah that's that's huge and so I think that's important. So, so the, so one part of the interpretation is what did they intend? What did yeah. the writer intend? What were they, what's the points they were making? And that's when you have to dive into the context of what their context was, who were they, mm-hmm. what were they, when were they, where were they, and all that kind of stuff to be able to answer that. Um, and that's why, but it's part, honestly, it seems like this is most of what I do on Sunday mornings when I preach is I am just helping people exegete a passage. Mm-hmm. They're like, here, here are the proper ways to come at this passage. And, and it's not like I'm God's gift to this. There's thousands of different people doing it who have done it. And, and to be able to say, how do we, how do we unpack this in a way that is the experience of the way they experienced it, understand it the way they ex- understood it. And one of those things it requires is empathy like you mm-hmm. have to be willing to try to put yourself in their shoes. You'd think that would be something that would be really popular today is 
How do I put myself in John's shoes or put myself in Mark's shoes? Right. Um, but I think that goes back to the fact that, that everyone except God gets to have a, an individual identity. Like every, mm-hmm. he, everybody right. can have radical autonomy except God, and he has to be whatever I want him to yeah, be. Yeah, we but, talked about that in the last in the episode. Last episode. Um, but, but so that question of, of empathy, can I get inside their head? Can I get inside yes. their heart and feelings? Understanding the culture and context, understanding all that stuff. And it's, to me, that's not a burden. It is a blast. Yeah. Um, and I think more people would have fun with it too. It's like, it does feel like I'm traveling back in time sometimes. And yeah. It's when I know that the, that it's become more controversial because of some of the creator statements. Um, although I don't fully grasp that line of logic, like pe- people are still watching other TV shows and movies that there, there are, their writer statements are not even close to being right. But, but the chosen, I feel like one of the values of it is, is it, it, it creates a very good, relatively accurate context based on what we know of what was going on when these things were happening. Right. And that's super powerful. That allows us yeah. to interpret. And, and the, the popularity of it, I think, shows how few people have done that. Yeah. Have ever experienced that. They've never gotten to experience that. No one has ever explained it to them in a way to allow themselves to. It kind of comes there. to life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And which then, now that's not, it's, it may not be directly scripture, but it allows us to better interpret scripture mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, um, I do have a question. Yep. And if you want to stay on the interpretation portion, no, that's we good. can keep that's doing. Good. So we've kind of talked about this framework of observation, spending a lot of time on observation. Yep. And then we move into interpretation and then finally to application. Mm-hmm. Are there any like common pitfalls or things that are like that people can move from interpretation to application and get it wrong or there Oh yeah. Or what are some things that are good to look out for? I guess when you're moving from interpretation under understanding something in somebody's context in their town and their in their time like how what are what are we looking to apply? Is it are we looking for principles? Are we looking for yeah. When does that does that make sense? It does. I'm 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 just trying to say for if I'm if I'm listening to this and I'm trying to understand hermeneutics and I don't I don't come from a church background. Right. Application wise, are there things I need to be looking for or ways that I can be doing that well? Or is that a really broad question? No, no, it's good. I'm waiting to see if Chris is gonna answer first or if I'm gonna answer first. You can jump out there if you uh, no, want I to. I think the order is important because I think the big pitfall is going to yes. be trying to always jump straight to application. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there will be many times when it, you, um, again, if especially if I'm trying to always find some, a verse for me or God's right. listening to me. And it might just be I learned something about God and how he deals with people. And then there's not a clear command like, so now today I'm going to go out and act this way. Mm-hmm. It might be that, okay, I have a different, deeper understanding of who God is that will affect my attitude toward my day. Mm-hmm. But it might always, it might not always be that I come away with this clear, oh, that's how I apply mm-hmm. right. this, yeah. you know, reading in Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon or Leviticus. So um, I, I think that would be, that was my initial thought of what could happen. Chris oh gosh. It, well, yeah, we've given some examples already of, people who jumped to application, they read it, they, they observe, they usually don't observe very well, mm-hmm. but they observe and then they apply without understanding the 
the context, the conditions, who those, what those people were. We saw um, David do it a couple of times with rep- Old Testament passages that he read it and was like, well, that would mean this. And it doesn't mean that. Um, and so what Chris said earlier is true. You, it is totally appropriate to read scripture and, and, uh, <clears throat> and to look at it and see, see how it's speaking to you and just read it. And that's, that is a good thing to do. Um, but if you jump to application before you understand really what's going on, you can get into a lot of trouble. So, mm-hmm. um, so for example, think about when Jesus told his disciples um, that if their eye causes them to lust, they should pluck it out. And if their hand causes them to sin, they should cut it off. Well, I feel confident that of the 12, much less the 70 who were with him, probably most of them, their eyes had caused them to lust and their hands had caused them to sin. But none of them cut their hands off or plucked their eyes out. So they, in that process, so if you just read that passage and you didn't do any good hermeneutics and didn't study it at all, and you went straight to application, you would have a lot of blind and, you know, helpless Christians out there. But when you look at the context and you're able to understand that Jesus is speaking in a, in a term of prioritization, almost hyperbole of prioritization, it's this important. And you understand that. And part of how you understand that is you look at the passages around it and you see that it doesn't say, so all of his disciples went and began plucking their eyes out and cutting their hands off. So they understood him in that moment to making, to be making a point that they did not apply as he means this exactly the way it sounds. They got that from the context. So if you read that today and you didn't know that, you could take it and, and run with it and have <coughs> all kinds of bad habits. But we, we talked about in the last podcast all the different bad things that have happened by people doing bad hermeneutics, whether it's defending Nazism or... Um, slavery, slavery, or, I mean, and, and what's interesting is it's only been about 10 years ago that I shocked a room full of people here by saying that the Bible does not forbid, um, uh, you know, I hate, I don't like the word race, trans ethnic, cross ethnic marriage. And they, many of them still thought the Bible taught that, that that's, if you'd ask them, does the Bible teach that people of different ethnicities shouldn't get married? And a lot of people would, in that group that I was teaching at that time, would have said, yes, absolutely. And they were shocked when I was like, okay, well, show me, because I don't see it. And so what they what they would do is they would go to these, these deep Old Testament passages that were specifically for the Jewish people about not intermarrying with people of other religions. Some of the people they weren't allowed to intermarry with were the same race as the Jews. And so it had nothing to do with ethnicity. It was it had to do with the fact that they were not following God, not following Yahweh. And that's and actually when it says not to intermarry with them, it says because they will draw you off to other gods. It doesn't say anything about the ethnicity. Um, and so and that's why the correct understanding of that in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul saying you shouldn't be married to a non-believer because that's creates an, an unequal yoke. Like that's that creates a problem that doesn't work well. But it was amazing how that bad hermeneutic people had jumped from, oh, I read it. It says, don't get a tattoo. Or it says, um, you know, you shouldn't marry somebody from this other uh, tribe or culture. And then I'm just going to apply that. Well, we, then we shouldn't do that. Like, that, is, that is an awful hermeneutic. They didn't correctly observe. They didn't even observe very well. And they didn't interpret at all. They just skipped interpretation. And wow. most often when we see that, I think we see it with the health and wealth movement today mm-hmm. in Christianity is you see 
that people observe a passage and then they apply it and they don't bother to interpret it. Yeah, so that so yeah. that's a common pitfall that can lead to bad hermeneutics yes. is removing the step of interpretation. Okay. So let's clarify the language. It yes. is bad hermeneutics. It leads to false. It, gotcha. it leads to bad truth or yes. it leads to okay. no truth. Gotcha. Um, hermeneutics is a path towards discovering the truth within revelation. In the same way, the scientific method is a path for discovering the truth within empirical evidence, or logic is a path for discovering the truth in reason. And so this is a path for that. It would be bad hermeneutics to do that, and mm-hmm. you would, and that therefore the conclusion you end up with will be jacked. Yes. Uh, it'll be wrong. Um, and again, we I see it all the time. So, well, so often people just... And, it's not that God can't do this, but they're like, Lord, give me something today. And they just open their Bible. And the first thing their finger lands on, that's my word for the day. And they don't know, you know, really even where they've landed or who's doing the talking or, um, I mean, I know I did that as a high schooler a lot where I just wanted to open it and God, and it was lazy. It was just really lazy. I just wanted something right away. And, uh, it was all about me and what I got out of it. Um, I've compared it to, if I had a hot cup of water in a in one hand and a tea bag in the other hand, and I reach over and I just dip it in and pull it out, um, do I have tea now? <laughs> and the answer would be, yeah, probably not really, even though I did what you're supposed to do, put the tea bag in the water. But I'm thinking of the word meditating is kind of like that, where you're you're letting it sit and you're you're thinking about it and you're looking at it. And I just think people are impatient. Yeah. They just want the immediate meaning or, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. And so therefore I'm just going to ignore it or skip it or say it's dumb mm-hmm. rather than taking, taking the time. Yeah. And there, there's no doubt. I totally sympathize when, when someone hears all this and they either say, well, I don't have time for that. Right. Well, that's okay. There's plenty of good material written. There's good sermons being taught to help you do it. That's one. It's important enough that it is worth the effort to do at least some of this. This really applies, this really jumps out in passages that are problem, quote, problem passages, that when you run into it and you go, whoa, wait a minute, especially dive into the hermeneutics of those. Um, you know, you may not need the hermeneutic to read the feeding of the 5,000, even though there's treasure to be found there if you use it. But, but instead to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do this when I'm doing study. It's okay to read and not do this depth of study every time you read. But Chris is right. You don't want to just cut and paste here and there like, oh, verse here, verse there. Like you're better off reading through scripture. And I'm a big fan of what the old, uh, uh, Rich Mullins used to say, the, the musician, Christian musician, was that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 10 times each, and then you move on to some of Paul's letters. But, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that mindset. If you're new to it, start with where the core is, and the core is Jesus Christ and where his narratives are, and the stories about him, and the accounts of him on earth. And that's a great place to start, is with those. Um, and and then build from that, I think is a great, I think that's a very healthy strategy, knowing it's not, it doesn't have to get, it's going to get more difficult with other passages for sure. Um, and then the other thing I totally sympathize with is when people say, well, gosh, then it seems like using this process, you can say it, you can try to make it say whatever you want to say. And I would say my response to that would be like, yeah, there's something to that, but it's not nearly as bad as if you don't do these things. Then it's very easy to make it say whatever you want to say. That's actually more difficult to follow these principles 
Um, and then when you follow these principles, you end up with pretty good commonality across the board for people using these well. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm recognizing that's a lot. Yeah, so, it is a lot. Um, I think we're going to jump into, if not next time soon, guys, um, the conversation about people being hurt in church. Because mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a common one right now. And I don't, I don't know how many people are, um, you know, it may help support their faith or help them reconstruct their faith. This conversations on hermeneutics and mm-hmm. the trustworthiness of scripture, I think is helpful because sometimes they get undermined and they don't know how to answer and it just, it's questions and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, I also think for a lot of people that, that conversation, that path starts with being hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote I was telling the guys, Chris, that I heard this week. Um, from someone who said, I'm going to see if I can look up if it was, I don't know if it was just someone I was talking to or if it was a, they were quoting somebody, but someone who, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, people saying, we're not rejecting the church. We're rejecting the community of abusers masquerading as the church. Hmm. Um, and, and I feel like we need to, we need to kind of unpack that conversation of what about when being part of the church or being a Christian is hard for you because of what you're experienced Yep. Because of your attractions, because of your desires, because <clears throat> mm-hmm. what you want in life, because what you've faced in life, and being a Christian seems hard. I have another friend who's um, who wrestles through with same-sex attraction as an issue that he's wrestling through right now. What do I believe about this? What do I want in this? And and he won't talk about it. But one of the questions he just pointedly, which I thought was totally appropriate, said. It just, it just doesn't seem fair that God is asking me to give something up that he's not asking you to give up. And, and I think that's a fair conversation for us to have. And so I think this is the place to have it. I wanted, I don't want to have it today because I want Bryn, mm-hmm. I want all of us to be here for that one. Um, and maybe yeah. it'll be when I'm back from Israel. But um, anyway, just have those, when have those go, thoughts in when, mind. When is your trip? I leave Thursday. Oh, and fine. I okay. get back in 10, to, 10, 11 days. Great. Hey, we might have said this, I can't, I feel like we might have said it back in the fall early on, but just encourage people as we're to to wrap up the the Bible study thing to, to not be afraid to go to other believers and ask what they think, to not feel like you're all alone. You got to figure this out Mm -hmm. and kind of like the, the contradictions part where it might be the first time you've thought about it and it might freak you out. It doesn't mean it's not the first time it's been thought about it. And the same thing, if you're reading something, go to Go to another believer and say, I don't understand this. It seems weird. I, I, I might have used this before, Chris. You'll love this. <laughs> and maybe I said this, but on the Petra, Never Say Die album, um, wow. there's the song there's Killing a- My Old Man. And when I was in seventh grade and I heard that song, I was like, what in the world? Like, I did not understand. <laughs> and there was a guy who worked with our youth and I was like, I don't understand. What is he talking about? And then he explained, he's talking about your old self and your, you know, your lust and flat. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> I was scared, but I was troubled and I kind of bothered me. Patricia, I got to go kill my old man. I know. I was like, <laughs> that's, what is he talking yeah, about? Exactly. But I think again, when you read sometimes it's like when, if I were to watch a cricket game, it just looks so weird because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. What, it's just because I don't know what's going on. But if someone were sitting there and like, Oh, let me explain what happened then it would be way easier than trying to figure out what's happening. I might eventually get it. Right? I was going to say, then you'd, just, right. you'd still be really confused. But but yeah, you've been... <laughs> Absolutely. But okay, I, I do also think that if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, I am I feel like I have a good grasp of hermeneutics, but I kind of want to, like, 
I don't even know if I believe that the Bible is a reliable text or something like that. We have done other episodes. Yes, so if this go is back where, to the last few. Yeah, if this is where you are entering the conversation, um, please send us in your questions, but know that we have revisit or we have visited a lot of this, especially on the reliability of scripture and stuff about that. So yes. uh, please go back and look for those. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.